as uh, Josh mentioned, we're going to be in the book of Romans. And uh, last week, our, our passage storyline ended in Jerusalem with the violent death of a young Christian named Stephen at the feet of a young Pharisee named Saul from the city of Tarsus. Tarsus was the capital city of Cilicia Campestris district of the Roman Empire, uh, what is now uh, Turkey. And uh, Saul was not only a Pharisee, he was the son of a Pharisee. He called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, which means that he was a purist. It would have meant that he would have spoken Aramaic and he would have worshipped uh, in Hebrew, speaking synagogues, uh, as opposed to the Hellenists who spoke and worshipped uh, in, in Greek. And uh, Saul was totally complicit in the death of Stephen. And uh, Acts, Acts chapter 8 says that uh, that began a period of intense persecution toward the young church, spearheaded by none other than Saul himself. So in the days ahead, we're going to be talking more about the story of Saul and his conversion to Christ and the great transformation that took place in his life, uh, resulting in him becoming that great missionary apostle that we know as Paul. Uh, but in conjunction to Paul's missionary endeavors, Paul is also responsible for the majority of the letters that make up our New Testament. And I would suggest to you that the reason for that is because we can never separate the mission from the message. Or the message from the mission. Uh, Paul's missionary work was such that he, he, he exceeded uh, all the other apostles and their work. And we have more from him in writing than any of the other apostles. So I would say, again, this is more of this idea of the um, convergence between what we say and what we do that we're talking about in this series we're calling Show and Tell. So the curriculum we're following, which is the Gospel Project curriculum, it takes us through the Bible in three years, uh, has us in the uh, letter of Romans today, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And uh, though it may seem like we're jumping uh, at this point from the book of Acts, uh, we, and we actually are time-wise because we've moved ahead probably at least 20 years or more. But I would say to you that the purpose in doing so, uh, I, I believe, would be to give us some time to consider the content of the gospel message that is so integral to the mission of the early church. Mission and message, saying and doing, going together. Uh, because we cannot separate the mission from the message or the message from the mission. And this is really, really the summation of the sermon today. Um, because what we know about the book of Romans, uh, written by the, the Apostle Paul, is that it is the fullest explanation of the gospel that we have in all of Scripture. However, it's also the greatest mission manual we have as well. 
Someone observed, and I don't know if it's technically true because I, I uh, didn't actually check it out. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's true. Somebody has observed that uh, every major point of Christian doctrine is included in the book of Romans. Now, we're in the book of Acts in the history of the early church, moving through. And perhaps you have noticed this. I think we've tried to point it out. Um, the book of Acts is constructed in such a way that um, it places special emphasis on what Jesus refers to as the ends of the earth. And... Um, I want to suggest to you that that phrase, the end of the earth, really, really refers to Rome in particular. Now, why would, why would we think that to be true? Well, for one thing, uh, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. And if you consider Acts 1-8 to be, and most, most biblical uh, students, students of the Bible will, will, will concede to this, that uh, Acts 1a is an outline of the book of Acts. Um, you will be my witnesses, say it with me, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that when Jesus said those words, in the minds of those early disciples, the ends of the earth was... Uh, not entirely synonymous with Rome, but certainly represented by the city of Rome because I think you know that these were the days of the Roman Empire, right? And so uh, another thing to consider, uh, consider this now, that when Jesus said uh, those words, he wasn't thinking so much about geography as he was about people groups. I mean, does God actually care where people live? Do, you, do we think that God cares about those uh, political, geopolitical boundaries? Uh, I don't think he really does. What does God care about? He cares about people. Right? What people? All people. The people in Jerusalem... The people in Judea, the people in Samaria, and the people in the whole earth. Now, the city of Rome really represented in that day the people of, of the earth. So Rome was uh, especially strategic in the mission of the gospel. And uh, so... I want us to see that as we dive into the book of Romans. Now, uh, we're not gonna, I'm not going to uh, be uh, preach, trying to preach the book of Romans so much as I'm going to try to do an introduction to the book of Romans, but this probably will be a fire hose sermon nonetheless. I think Jesus was uh, saying in so many words, of, you know, it's, it's a really dangerous thing to paraphrase our Lord, but... I really think that what he was trying to get across to, the, to those early disciples was this. Don't leave anybody out. 
Because the gospel is for the world. All hail King Jesus, Savior of the world. Um, now, one more thing in relation to that before we actually uh, get into Romans chapter 1 uh, a little bit. Um, it helps us, I think, to appreciate in the mind of the Jew, and certainly uh, Jesus, when Jesus spoke those words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he was talking to uh, men and women who were Jewish. And in the minds of those early Jews, Jews tended very much to think uh, of the world as two, consisting of two groups of people. Not three groups, not four groups, not five groups. They didn't think so much of all these, uh, all these nations, all these people groups. In the mind of the average Jew, including those early disciples, they tended to think us and them. Jews and Gentiles. Or Jews and everybody else. Us and everybody else. And uh, that mentality... Stay with me here. That mentality proved to be one of the most difficult challenges the early church faced on mission. And we see that in the book of Acts. God literally had to drive them out of Jerusalem with persecution. That's the way the text reads. Because of that tendency, we all have, and it was a big problem for them, it's a big problem for us, that tendency to turn inward and to focus on our differences. So today, we're considering Paul's explanation of the gospel in the book of Romans. But listen, we're also considering Paul's thoughts and expressions about the people in Rome to whom he wrote the letter. Because that forms the missiological context of the letter. That's the theology of missions, if you will. Um, and that's really important because it, it's, it's this whole idea, again, that the message always goes with the mission. The mission always goes with the message. They're integral one to the other. The book of Romans helps us understand the message of the gospel in relation to the mission of the gospel so that we can be on mission with the gospel. If we want to understand the book of Romans, I, I think we need to understand it in those terms. Because as we jump into the book of Romans, one of the first things Paul is going to make reference to is the gospel for the sake of his name, that's God's, the, the name of the Lord, among all the nations. It's his theme. The gospel on mission to the world. So, are you following me? Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Let's uh, dig in. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's an engagement term. Called, that's an engagement term. To be an apostle, sent one, engagement term. Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, so it's about the gospel, right? Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. That's the gospel that we have received to, um, 
for, uh, for grace and, apost- and apostleship to bring about, look at these words, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Including you, Paul says, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all those in Rome who are loved by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.16, right? To all those in Rome, verse 7, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is right there, to the nations. God's love to all people. And that's the the, the carrying theme of, of, of the book, the gospel to the world through the church on mission. It's generally conceded or thought that the main theme of the book of Romans is the gospel. I would just suggest to you that it's, it's a little more than that. It's the gospel on mission and that we should read it that way. What's, what's, uh, what's the difference? Well, the difference I would say would be this. In the first case, we read it as something for us to receive. In the second place, we read it as something for us to receive, but that which thrusts us out on mission for Jesus. Because the gospel is for all, right? Do we believe that? That the gospel is for everybody. That doesn't mean everybody is going to receive the gospel or accept the gospel, but everybody should have the opportunity. Anyone who does is saved, regardless of who they are, where they come from, or what their situation is, correct? We do believe that. We sing about it. We, we celebrate it, that the gospel is for the world. But as I said last week, the early church struggled with this, this idea because we look at the, how exciting it was and, and the things that were happening in the, in the early church, but then there are the problems, and the problems often had, often had to do with this, this, this issue. And, and, and I would suggest it was, if not the biggest, it was one of the biggest problems that the early church had was smashing down those partitions that exist between people. I'm not talking so much about the, the, the petitions out there somewhere as I am about the petitions that exist in my own heart, the borders I set up in my own heart that separate myself from others and put them in a different category. You know what I'm talking about? And God can help us with that. And may God help us with that, because whether, whether they are ethnic boundaries, cultural boundaries, political boundaries, or whatever, the question is, do we care enough to engage in mission? And it, acquire and maintain an outreach mentality that crosses borders of all kinds, even if those borders are personal preferences. Romans 1.8, there's the next verse in Romans chapter 1 there, Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in what? All the world. Paul's showing his heart here. The heart of the great apostle is laid bare in the book of Romans. He is a man on mission. 
with the gospel of Jesus. Then in verses 9 through 15, he tells them about how much he wanted and still wants to come to them at Rome. If you read the, the, the book of Romans, hopefully you've done that, you will see that the next several verses, Paul just kind of goes on about, gee, I really wanted to come see you guys and I didn't, wasn't able to make it, but I'm, I'm still hoping to make it. I, want, I really, really want to come there. Why did he want to come there? Well, verse 15 says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then in verses 16 and 17, we have what most people consider to be the, the central uh, uh, introductory statement in the book of Romans that give us the, the, the sort of the topic of the book. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, but keep reading. For it is the power of God for salvation to who? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, there you have it. Everybody. Whether you're Jew or you're Greek, it's for everybody. Because that means everybody. In the mind of the Jew, including these early Jewish Christians. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The, the righteous shall live by faith. And we understand as we study the book of, of Romans and the rest of the New Testament that, that the gospel is the message that God gives us his righteousness because we don't have a righteousness of our own that would merit his acceptance of us. That's why it's grace. And from this point on in Paul's uh, letter, he explains how the gospel is all about God's gift of salvation through his son Jesus Christ by whom he gives uh, us grace. Uh, Gift meaning grace, uh, God's own righteousness or right standing before God, if you will, when we respond in faith um, to the offering of Christ on our behalf. And Paul's explanation of how that all works out in our lives is also the subject matter that follows. However, please, please take note that it is salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, because that is really important to our understanding of what the book of Romans is really all about. He mentions over and over and over again throughout this entire book, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. You'll see it come up over and over and over again. It seems kind of strange to us that he would do that. And I think it's just a matter of us understanding why he would do that. That's important. And the reason is, he's not just talking about a gospel. He is talking about the gospel. He is talking about the one gospel, the only gospel by which anyone can be saved regardless of what category you or I might want to put them in. Romans 1, verse 18, follows that. 
And now we're going to try to shift up a gear here, okay? Because this is where I have to resist the temptation to take you through, wade you through the book of Romans. And what I'm going to try to do instead is just kind of skip on the tops of the waves here and have to get a sense for the theme and how Paul carries it through. Um, so hang on, bear with me, and uh, put your mind to work here so that we can get a, 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 an understanding together, a collective understanding and appreciation for what Paul's trying to communicate here. So from, from th those verses, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where he, he says, talks about the gospel being the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, he goes on there to explain that. In, in great detail. He unpacks it. And so he's, uh, in verses um, uh, 118, all the way through to chapter 3, verse 23, Paul explains how there's no substantive difference because the gospel is for everyone. He talks about the judgment of God for those who don't have the law. That would be the Gentiles. And he talks there about the law of conscience. And then he talks about those who do have the law, but they don't keep it. That would be the Jews. And then in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. You see what he's doing there. And then chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. You see, see that? Every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so Paul is going to great lengths here to basically say, yeah, you can think of the world as two different kinds of people, but the reality is we're all in the same boat because we all need the gospel. Jesus Savior of the world. Uh, then there's a, a, a section in chapter 3, which is one of my favorite sections of the book, because in chapter 3, verses 21 and 26, there's six verses where Paul gives probably the clearest and most concise description of the gospel that exists, in my opinion, my observation. He uses some pretty big words there. He talks about righteousness and faith and being justified, and he mentions redemption uh, and grace, he even mentioned, uses the word propitiation, uh, but he unpacks those throughout the letter. But his mind the whole time is still on mission because in chapter 3, verses 29 to 30, he says, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And then he answers his own question, yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You see what he's doing there, right? So uh, <laughs> people say, hey, I'm really, it's real, I'm really happy for you that you found something, you found Jesus, and that's really good. Uh, you know, I'm really happy for you, but I don't need, need a, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You really don't understand. So once again, Paul's explaining the gospel of how we are saved, but in doing so, he wants everyone to understand that is how anyone can be saved. 
Do we believe that? That anyone can be saved, no matter what. All who believe, it says. All who believe. Anyone and all who respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ are saved by that gospel. Be they Jew or Gentile, one gospel for all. And he just keeps hammering away on that through the whole book. He just keeps hammering away. Let's just, chapter 4 is all about Abraham. Because, why? Because the Jews thought they were uh, different. Because they felt their situation were different. They were children of Abraham. They had the law of Moses. So chapter 4 is all about Abraham and how Abraham was not saved by the law, but saved by faith. That's what chapter 4 is all about. Chapter 5 begins with this really nice little summary that, again, is probably one of my, maybe my second most favorite part of the whole book, where Paul talks about, um, uh, summarizes the gospel by saying that we uh, are justified by faith, we have peace through God, with, um, with God through Jesus Christ, and we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and how we rejoice even in sufferings because of the hope that he has given us and the endurance and the character that is produced by that and how the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given unto us. I love that passage, five verses. But what follows that then, he goes back to Adam. You remember who Adam is? Adam is the father of us all. And in chapter 5, uh, he makes the point that in Adam all have sinned. And then he parallels that with the salvation that is in Christ. And he says things like this. Take a look, chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for and life for all men. Now, he doesn't say it here, but he might as well say it. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter. It's for everybody. He just keeps hammering away, hammering away. Chapter 6, Paul anticipates the common objection that such a gospel of grace produces lawless ones who complacently sin because they know they're already forgiven. And that was one of the biggest objections the Jews had to welcoming in those Gentiles into the church, right? And Paul says, no, in so many words, he says, no, you don't understand. Those who are uh, in Christ have been crucified with Christ. Baptized in his death, he says in chapter 6. And then, you know, uh, he, he carries on right through there. He says, we're no longer slaves to sin. That's where that song comes from. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we serve Jesus as Lord of our lives. And then chapter 7, he goes to the law again. And he explains how death releases us from the law because it fulfills the requirements of the law in that we have died with Christ and arisen with Christ. And therefore, we have new life in Christ, what he calls the new way of the Spirit. Uh, chapter 7, verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And that leads us into chapter 8, which is all about that living in the Spirit, free from condemnation, walking in the Spirit. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And he goes on to stress that relationship we have with him as children of God, indwelt 
and led by the Holy Spirit in us, destined for glory and held fast by his love. Chapter 8, right? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, he said, Paul says there. Chapter 8 is, is amazing. So these are all explanations of the gospel by how, by how, uh, uh, how we are saved and uh, how we live by the gospel. Romans 1.17, from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. How we're saved by the gospel and how we live out of the gospel. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. And we could add to that because we love to cut people up into categories, don't we? Talk about this group of people and that group of people. And, and the Jews struggle with that. And we struggle with that. And Paul says, you know what? There's only really one kind of people, and that's lost people. You really want to say there's two kinds of people, you have to say there's Jesus and there's everybody else. Right? So, now, chapters 9, 10, and 11 usually are viewed as a kind of a detour. <laughs> they have all those, those wonderful uh, tantalizing statements about the sovereignty of God and predestination of God's elect. And, and, uh, but once we see that uh, the message of the gospel is integral to the mission of the gospel and that Paul's mind is on the mission uh, of, the, of, the, of the gospel or on mission with the gospel, then chapters 9, 10, and 11 actually fit perfectly into his whole line of thought. Consider this with me, okay? Paul is a Jew, right? Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees, um, zealous. Um, he's also the apostle to the Gentiles. If you look at uh, Galatians chapter 2, you'll see it there, and Paul talks about it in the book of Romans too. God Called and he said it in chapter one. If you were paying attention, God called the apostle Paul or called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul was a Jew. How do we think Paul felt about Jews? Uh, Check this out. Romans chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an, an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He's, he's really putting his heart out here. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Jesus was a Jew. And Paul loved the Jews. He loved them. You know what that means? It means that Paul loved the world. He loved everybody. For Paul so loved the world that he gave himself on mission for Jesus, taking the gospel of Jesus to the world. 
Romans chapter 11, verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's a mystery in how God used the rejection and the crucifixion of Christ to save the world. Think about it. If the Jews hadn't have rejected Jesus, they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been crucified. God used death to give us eternal life. It doesn't get any more profound than that. And there's a great mystery in all of this when we think about the sovereignty of God and the election of God and, and the mercy of God. And Paul takes us through that there. And then in verse 33 of chapter 11, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul's revelation of the gospel on mission blew his own mind. But in all of it, in all of it, it's all about the mission. Chapter 11, verse 32 for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now, I'm supposed to be done right about now. I've got one page of notes left here. Let me see if I can do this as quick, quickly as I can. Chapters 12, 13, 14, and the first seven verses of chapter 15 are a unit. They begin with that beautiful passage, I beseech thee therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He just talked about mercy, right? And he says, I beseech thee by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewed in the gospel. And then, all the way down to chapter 15, verse 7, we have this uh, beautiful uh, portion of salvation and what salvation looks like in our lives daily in, together as we live together in this world as a church and as we live as, a, as representatives in a fallen world. It's about the fruit of the gospel in our lives. It's a compelling vision of a transformed life. The last chapter... In the book of Romans is chapter 16. It's all greetings. It's all personal greetings. So what that leaves that we haven't actually talk, talked about at all in some form is what happens between chapter 15, verse 7, and chapter 16. Because that's really where Paul finishes his thoughts. Because as I said, chapter 16 is all greetings, personal greetings. So it's very interesting What's in those last passages there between Rome, uh, 15, 7 and chapter 12? Just want to touch on it, show you a couple verses. Uh, 15, verse 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes three Old Testament passages that are all about the Gentiles being saved. 
and the Gentiles becoming part of God's family. And then in chapter, in uh, verse 20, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard him will understand. Mission, mission, mission. The whole world. And here's one more thing before I conclude. Mission is also an essential component, a core component of our worship. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ, cannot worship God unless we're worshiping him on mission. And we need to remember that. We need to allow that to sink deep in our souls. So I want to finish today with uh, basically um, doing something I can't do, which is um, stream a, 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 a song, a video. Um, but we are going to post it in the chat. And I hope that you will, you will click on it. I hope that you'll, you'll have a listen to it. It's called Until the Whole World Hears. It's a song by Casting Crowns. And I want, I hope you will ha give it a listen. Um, I'm just going to pray a really short prayer here. And, and then whether, whether you can do it right now or whether you can do it after lunch, I hope that you will. I hope you will listen to the words of this song, which I think is right out of the heart of the book of Romans. It's called Until the Whole World, World Hears. I hope you'll listen to it. I hope you will uh, respond. Because that's really what we need to do. This calls for a response. Don't just sit there and go, wow, that was a really good sermon. Or, wow, that was way too much. Do something. Engage. 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 Say something. Give something. Communicate something. Connect. Get on mission. Ask questions. Engage. Father, please bless your word to our hearts this day and catapult us as your people into the mission that you have for us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.